you that in your great love and mercy you sent your Son. It's the wonderful mystery of Christ, the eternal Son of God, become flesh in order to die for our sins to bring us to you, Father. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit now to open up our hearts and minds to receive your word? And may it change and grow us in you, Father, we pray. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. You can find it on page 809 in the Red Bibles under your chair. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, This morning, this is obviously a very bittersweet morning uh, for Carly and I. This will be our last Sunday uh, with Trinity for a while. Um, If you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Josh. Uh, For the last five years and four months, I have been on staff here at Trinity, I'm currently serving as the assistant pastor on Tuesday. Uh, my wife and I, we're going to be moving to Boise, Idaho, where we're going to begin uh, working through a year-long church planter training residency there. Um, as of right now, we do have uh, tentative plans to come back in October for Missions Month, so we'll keep you posted on that, and that'll be an opportunity for us to share all that we've been doing um, and all that's gone on. Um, before I get into the sermon... Um, I do need to take a few moments just to thank a few people um, who've been an important part of mine and Carly's life over the last five years. Um, First, I I do want to thank all of you. Um, You, as a church, have provided such an incredible 
gracious and kind context for me to grow as a pastor in. Um, if you're familiar with Tim Keller, uh, he's a pretty influential pastor. He said that he was speaking to a room of young pastors, and he told them, your first 200 sermons are just going to be terrible, and you ha- so you're just going to have to get over that. Um, I have not hit that 200 mark yet, so that means that every sermon I've preached here has been terrible, and you have had to endure with that. Um, so I, I am incredibly grateful for your kindness and your grace towards me as I've been growing as a pastor and a preacher, um, and just want to say thank you to so many of you who have had us over to your homes during this time. Um, I don't think Carly and I have eaten a meal t- just alone in the last two weeks because so many of you have had us over to your homes um, for potato dinners. Um, as we're moving to Idaho, it's, it's interesting, you know, uh, yes, uh, Idaho is famous for potatoes, but its nickname is also the gem state. So if you had any gems that you wanted to give us as well on our way out, that's fine too. So, but really, thank you. I'm so grateful uh, for this church and for the role that you've played in my life. Um, moving forward, it, it's, it's going to be hard, but I'm just very, I'm very grateful. Also, I want to thank Dan. Um, Dan, since the moment you got here and have been pastoring us, you have been like a father figure to me. You have um, you've mentored me in, in pastoral ministry, and I'm very grateful for that. And I think one of the things that nobody else gets to see on a weekly basis is just the way that Dan cares for our staff, the way that he ministers and pastors to our staff on a daily basis. So, Dan, thank you for that. Also, the staff and elders, um, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you all. Um, I, I, not once have I ever showed up to work and been like, oh man, I can't believe I have to work with these people today. Um, we ha- our church, we do have a wonderful staff, um, just awesome conversations that happen throughout the week, a lot of laughter. Um, I've really enjoyed working with you all, and the elders, you've been so influential in my life um, over the last five years as well. Also, um, our youth leaders. Um, I don't know how many of you know this, but the average youth pastor only sticks around at a church for about 12 to 18 months. Um, I've been here just over five years, and an enormous part of that is because of the youth leaders that I've had the privilege of serving with. Um, these leaders have been dedicated to our junior high and high school ministries um, long even before I was here. Everett and Diane have been serving in our junior high ministry for long before, since I was here and long after I'm gone, right? Um, So I'm incredibly grateful for all of the youth leaders that have served over the last five years, and um, I didn't warn all of you about this, but if if you have been a youth leader in our church sometime during the last five years, could you just stand and be recognized by the rest of the church quickly? really grateful for your service. And um, finally, um, Carly, I didn't tell you I was going to say this either, but um, uh, for those of you who don't know, Car- my wife Carly, she has been serving with our junior high and high school ministry as well. Um, she has given of her time to serve not just the junior high, but all the high school students as well, meeting the, the girls for coffee and spending time with them outside of group, going on all of the different retreats that we've had, um, all the Nerf Wars, coming to two youth groups a week, sometimes three when we've had different events, and you've truly been an anchor in our home over the last five years. And I would not be where I am today if it weren't for you, so I'm incredibly grateful for you. Whew. All right. So as I, as I said, um, Carly and I are going to be transitioning and moving to Boise, Idaho, starting on Tuesday. And we're going to begin a year-long church planter training residency there. Um, and the, the hope of this is just to see how God may use us in church planting and pastoral ministry 
um, moving forward. So I just wanted to give a brief update on that, and then we'll jump into the sermon. So back in October when we made the announcement to, to Trinity that we were going to be moving, the pastor, uh, the church that we're going to be a part of, the church is called Trademark Church, and the pastor's name there is Josh as well. Uh, he announced to his church as well that we were going to be coming, and since making that announcement to his church, um, four other couples in their church have stepped forward and asked if they could be a part of this residency in some way, shape, or form. So for the next year, we're going to be partnering with um, four other couples as they're also thinking, contemplating how God may be wanting to use them in church planting. So as our church is moving through an elder deacon training here, um, basically we're going to get to partner with these other couples in doing that as well. Um, in addition to that, um, Carly and I had initially had plans to head out to Boise um, in June. And through talking with the elders and, and Dan and praying about this, it ended up, long story short, we ended up settling on January. And we were always wondering, like, why timing-wise? Why, why January? Like, God, what are you, what are you up to with that? Um, so I got a phone call from Josh um, a few weeks ago, and he informed me that the assistant pastor and his wife at, at Trademark Church had just, they had some things going on in their lives, and they needed to step out of ministry for a time. And so with us moving two weeks after that, I'm going to be able to step into a role at the church that I had not anticipated initially. So not only are we going to be able to be served in learning how to church plant and grow in that, but we're also going to be able to serve the church in kind of an assistant pastoral role helping with things like that. So it's really great to see God's providence and all of that. And finally, we also said that we needed to raise about $2,000 a month to make this possible. And long story short, God provided beyond that for us for this next year. Not, not only through your generosity, but um, generosity from our, some people in our family, some friends that we've had. God has blessed and given us more than we even asked for in all of that. So we're incredibly grateful for that and for your generosity in partnering with us. So would you pray with me before we get into our sermon? Oh, our Father God, you, you are so good and you are so gracious, and you are so kind. And Father, I thank you so much for Trinity Community Church, and I thank you for um, their faithfulness to each other. I thank you for uh, this church's faithfulness to your word and wanting to walk in being disciples. Father, I, I pray um, over our passage this morning, just ask that you would give me grace as I preach. I pray that you would be with us, uh, that your spirit would be here ministering to our hearts, showing us um, how it is that we can grow as disciple-makers and, and enter into this kingdom that you are bringing here on earth. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, we're in Matthew chapter 4. We're starting in verse 12. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've been seeing in the beginning of Matthew how Jesus is the fulfillment of the nation of Israel. And I, I won't repeat everything that Dan had mentioned last week, but if you think back to the Old Testament, the journey of the nation of Israel, in these opening chapters of Matthew, Jesus, in his own way, has walked that same journey but where Israel had failed, Jesus was faithful. And now, as we're looking at our passage this morning, Jesus is going to begin his public ministry. And he does so by announcing good news of a kingdom. This kingdom, it's good. This morning we're seeing it's good news that God's kingdom has broken into this world. And because God's kingdom has broken into this world, everything is going to be different. Everything is going to change now. And there's going to be three movements in our passage. First, we're going to see the announcement of the kingdom then the call of the kingdom, and then the effects of the kingdom. So first, let's look at the announcement of the kingdom. Verse 12 says, Now when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. 
So right here, we're not given all the details of John's arrest. Uh, This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. We're not going to know all the details of that arrest until later in chapter 11 and 14. But if we remember, Jesus is closely associated with John. John baptized him. Their ministries were closely associated. And so Jesus sees John's arrest as potentially dangerous for himself. So what he does is he decides to head back up to the region of Galilee to his, his little hometown of Nazareth, this podunk little town, to settle in there and just kind of wait for things to, you know, pass by, blow over. So some time passes, and then in verse 13, we read, we read that Jesus leaves his hometown of Nazareth, and he heads to Capernaum, which is by the sea. It's on the Sea of Galilee, and he's, he heads to live there. And now this was a strategic decision for Jesus, because he's launching his public ministry. So he's trying to get into contact with as many people as possible. He doesn't want to launch his public ministry near Jerusalem, because John's been arrested there. He doesn't want to launch his public ministry in Nazareth, because, well... It's a tiny little podunk town. There's not a ton of people. It's not going to be as influential of a place. So he heads to Capernaum, which is is a town of about 10,000 people, which in that day was fairly significant. It had a large fishing industry. There was a Roman outpost there. So it was a fairly significant town for him to launch his ministry. So he heads there to live. But what's also significant, if we look down there, Matthew quotes here, and he says that it's significant because Capernaum was in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, and Jesus had come here so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah could be fulfilled. So what Matthew does here is he takes a portion of the end of Isaiah chapter 8 and the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9, and he brings them together to show the significance of Jesus' actions. He sees two different elements being fulfilled here. One is the location that Jesus has come to as the Messiah, and the second is the message, or Jesus himself. So first, there in verse 15, he draws attention to the location that Jesus has come to. These two locations, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were actually tribes. These were tribes of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament. And this town of Capernaum was roughly in the same area that they were in. So there's a specific people that the Messiah has come to to launch his public ministry. So Jesus shows up on the scene in this prophesied location. And Matthew's trying to draw our attention to that. But second, we also see what would happen when Jesus showed up. Verse 16 says that the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, a shadow of death, on them, life has dawned. And I think what makes this prophecy from Isaiah so significant, again, this is coming out of Isaiah chapter 8 and chapter 9. If you go back and read that, which I would encourage you to this week, these words are so blatantly about the coming Messiah King. It's so obvious that Matthew is essentially screaming at us here, look, the Messiah is here. This is the one who was promised from the Old Testament. See, we read about him in Isaiah. This is actually, right, we read these passages around Christmas time as we celebrate Jesus coming into the world. He was the one who was going to bring God's kingdom. And the light that was breaking into the darkness was not only the message that Jesus was preaching, but it was Jesus himself. He's making it so clear to us that Jesus was this long-awaited Messiah King He's come to offer light and life and hope and purpose and significance to a people who had been trapped in spiritual darkness. When I was in uh, junior high, I had the opportunity to go to a summer camp up in Colorado, just outside of Colorado Springs. And it was tradition on the first morning that we were all there, after we were all jet-lagged and everything, the first morning that we were there, we would wake up at about 4 o'clock and go watch the sunrise. So we, would, we, woke, up, we woke up at about 4 o'clock, made our way down this trail, um, up to a mountainside, there, was may- there were maybe two people who had flashlights at the, at the front to kind of like 
give us a little bit of light, but we basically had to have our hand on the person in front of us as we're walking through this darkness. And even when we got to the, the peak where we were overlooking what would eventually become a valley, um, we still couldn't see much. You know, the moon was still up and the stars were out, but the light shining in this valley, we couldn't really make out what was in front of us. So we're sitting there and we're waiting and waiting in anticipation. And finally, you see the top of the sun start coming up over the horizon. And I don't know, maybe a half hour later, the sun is close to being up and the, the valley in front of us is just bursting with color and light. And we can see all these rivers and these mountains off to the side and these trees and this forest because the sun was shining, because a light had dawned. And that, that's what Matthew's drawing attention to here. That's what he sees as his prophecy from Isaiah, that Jesus had come to shed light on our lives. Jesus had come to give purpose and significance to everything that we see. And that walk, da- that walk back down to camp with the light shining on the trail was a lot easier. It made a lot more sense now that light had dawned on our situation. And it shouldn't surprise us then what Jesus says next. He's come announcing the kingdom. This is good news. Light is good news. For those of us dwelling in darkness, light is good news. Look what he says next in verse 17. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, and he preached, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what Jesus says here in this, in this verse about repentance in the kingdom of heaven, it's not an easy concept for us to wrap our minds around. I, honestly, I was feeling a lot of pressure this past week in between packing and trying to get everything ready to move to communicate perfectly the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. But um, as I was thinking about this, one, I'm completely incapable of doing that. And the second thing is, in, in the Gospels, Jesus explains the kingdom of heaven much like a mustard seed. It's a tiny seed, but eventually it grows into a huge tree. And so I think our understanding of the kingdom of God is similar to that, right? It's going to begin with the basics. It's going to begin with a very basic understanding. And as we're making our way through Matthew's gospel, each week we're going to be returning to this theme, and our understanding of the kingdom of heaven is going to grow. So there's a lot of complex realities in the kingdom, and it has to do with every facet of our lives. But as we're walking through Matthew, um, it'll become clear to us. I promise that. And if, if you leave this morning feeling a little, bit more, a little bit confused about the kingdom and feeling like, hey, there's got to be more to it, you're right. There is more to it, and you're not alone in that. All right, so Jesus says, repent. This word repent, it carries a deep sense of urgency. If, if, I mean, if you've got your, your own Bible, not a pew Bible, you could underline that word because it, it carries a deep sense of urgency with it. Jesus is not simply suggesting to you and I that we repent. He's not recommending it. Um, he's not telling us, hey, maybe you should consider repenting. He's, he's coming on the scene as a prophet, commanding that the people repent. So to repent is to change course immediately, to change our minds about something and head in another direction. So if you think of um, a ship out in the water heading towards the rocks, it's going to see a giant lighthouse, and there's going to be a light shining into the water, warning that ship to turn and change its course. Lighthouses also have giant air horns, right? So it's basically like that lighthouse is saying, turn away, repent, chart a different course, head toward new waters. And that's what repentance is, is that we, we would turn and head to something different. But Jesus here, if we look, he's calling us to repentance for a specific reason. It's because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's come near because God himself is now here. Because God is here now, the kingdom is here. 
And it's interesting. So Matthew's the only gospel writer that actually uses this phrase, kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers refer to it as the kingdom of God, and Matthew kind of uses it interchangeably, but they're referring to the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. But in our understanding of the kingdom of heaven, here's where things can get a little tricky. When we think of a kingdom, we tend to think of maybe a building with towers and and walls around it, or we think of a, a nation in a particular physical location at a particular time in history. So we think of that when we think of kingdom, but we also think of, when when we hear the word heaven, we tend to think of something that's far off, something that's distant, something that will happen, maybe we'll experience when we die. And if you put that together, what we end up thinking of is a physical kingdom somewhere off in another place, somewhere off in heaven, something that we'll experience when we die. But the kingdom of heaven, it's it's much different than that. When, When Jesus announces that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's announcing that God is establishing his kingship over the earth here and now. That God is establishing his kingship over the earth here and now. That God, through Jesus and the announcement of this kingdom, he's now taking control of what is rightfully his. That, that's the announcement of the kingdom. So in, in the Old Testament, we see that God established his rulership and his kingship over, a, over the nation of Israel. They were a particular people living in one particular place in history. God had instructed Israel to repent, to turn to him, and to live life the way that he had commanded them to live. But now we see in the New Testament, with Jesus showing up on the scene, that God's kingship is not just going to be established over one individual nation, but it's going to be established over all creation. Over all creation. So let's put this together then. Jesus says repent. So repent of what? Our sin? Yes. But the big picture is, is that we need to repent of the fact that the reality that since birth, we have been living in the wrong kingdom. Since birth, we have been living in the wrong kingdom. We have been living in the kingdom of this world. We've been living in a kingdom dominated by Satan, sin, and death. We've been following the course of this world. And now, we're supposed to actively choose to break our allegiance with the kingdom of this world and place our faith in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is calling us to, to, to break our allegiance to the kingdom of this world and come under God's rulership and under his kingship and authority. So Jesus is saying, turn away from the way that you've been living your life. Turn to God. Come under his authority and begin living life the way that he has instructed, the way that he's designed. You see, the kingdom of heaven, it's about a way of life. The kingdom of heaven is about a way of life, and it's about living life the way that God has instructed us to, living life the way that he's instructed us to. That's what it looks like to enter into the kingdom, that we submit our lives to God's will, we submit our lives to his loving and gracious kingship, and we bring our lives into conformity with what he's revealed in Scripture is the way that we ought to live. That's what it it looks like to come into the kingdom. So, So coming under God's rulership and his kingship, it's to return to our original place in the world. If you think back to the beginning of the Bible, God created humanity to live under his loving, gracious, and kind rulership, to live under his authority, that they would be, humanity would be under his kingship. But we chose to rebel against that, and every single one of us has chosen since birth to follow the kingdom of this world and to go the way of the world rather than submitting our lives to God. But Jesus' call here, again, it's to repent, to turn from that, to to sense that there's an urgency here that we need to repent and come into the kingdom of God to bring ourselves underneath his rulership and his kingship. 
You see, as, as evangelicals, we, we do talk a lot about salvation. And, and that's a good thing, right? To be an evangelical is to desire to see other people come to know Jesus. We're committed to evangelism, and, that, and that's a good thing. But I think we often talk about salvation in a way that's a bit shallow and incomplete. So salvation, is, it's far more, being saved is far more than simply praying a prayer and, you know, getting saved from hell and then waiting around till we go to heaven when life is over. Um, salvation is fundamentally about bringing our life under God's rulership. Breaking our allegiance with this world and coming under God's rulership. It's entering into a fulfilling and soul-satisfying, abundant life that God is willing to bring to his people here on earth. So salvation is about our allegiance. Either we, our allegiance is firmly committed to this world, following the course of this world, just doing whatever it is that we want to do, or our allegiance is to God and to his kingdom. And we enter that by faith, faith and trust in Jesus. So this morning, as we're reading this passage, God is inviting you into his kingdom. He's inviting you to come under his gracious rule and to live life the way that he has ordered it to be lived, to repent and to, by faith, step into his kingdom. And, and here's, why I find this, here's why I find this so incredible. And my, my heart and my affections for Jesus are continued to stir each day because when, when I live my life under the rulership of God, when, I, when I'm submitted to him, I'm able to experience, albeit in a very broken way, I'm able to experience here and now what I will fully experience for eternity in heaven. When I bring my life under God's rulership and his spirit begins working in me, I'm able to experience here and now what I will fully experience for all of eternity in heaven. So think about it this way. If, if I act in love towards another person, that's a tangible expression of God's love toward that person that they will fully experience for eternity in heaven. And the same is when somebody acts towards me in love. When someone demonstrates love toward me, that's a tangible expression of God's love towards me, and it's a tangible expression of the love that I'll experience forever in eternity with God. If I'm healed of a sickness or an illness, in that moment, I'm experiencing the full healing that I will always have in eternity with heaven with God. And he does that for us, right? There's been two different occasions in my life where I've had somebody pray for me when I have been violently sick. And I, I mean, I was miraculously healed in both times instantly. Well, and yeah, I got sick again, right? And I eventually I will die. But in that moment, I was able to experience the healing that God is going to bring me for all of eternity in heaven. And he allowed me to experience that here on earth. So there's, as God is bringing his rulership and his kingship to this earth, we will begin experiencing things that we will experience for all eternity in heaven here and now. And we're going to see that in the coming weeks, what that looks like for us as we're making our way through Matthew. So that was the announcement of the kingdom, that we need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now next we're going to see the call of the kingdom. The call of the kingdom so if you're taking notes, I would say this, that the call of the kingdom is to follow Jesus into a whole new way of life. The call of the kingdom is to follow Jesus into a whole new way of life. He's announced the kingdom, and look what happens here in verse 18, 18 through 22. We have two identical instances, and I'll have the verses up on the screen, two identical instances of how Jesus calls four different men to follow him. Remember, Jesus is now in Capernaum, he's by the sea, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these guys fishing at the docks. So I want to stop here for a second, and I just want us to think about this. Jesus, God himself, 
is about to launch his public ministry. And we know here, sitting in 2018, 2,000 years later, that this public ministry that Jesus is about to launch was world-changing. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. There are Christians all over the globe. Christianity has, in a good way, flipped the world upside down. So Jesus, who do you think he comes to to launch a public ministry that's going to change the world? It's not the political elite, but he chooses a bunch of poor, uneducated, sweaty guys who smell like fish. That's what he does. If you've seen the show Deadliest Catch, right, that's who Jesus comes to. Those are the guys that Jesus comes to to launch his public ministry that was going to change the world. And I want to encourage you with this. If you've ever thought that you were not significant enough, not educated enough, not influential enough for God to use you in his kingdom, look at these guys. You need to stop thinking that way. God can use you where you are, as you are right now, to do incredible things for his kingdom. And you don't even, you don't even need to move to Boise, right? Right where, if you want to, feel free to join us. But... Right here, right where you are right now, as you are, God can use you for his kingdom to accomplish his purposes because at the end of the day, it's not about you, but it's about what God can do through you. It's about what God can do through you, him exercising his power through you. So Jesus, he sees these guys fishing and he calls to them. He says, follow me. And this, this is an unconventional action for a rabbi. So that, that word rabbi, it means teacher. Um, and Jesus, Jesus was a rabbi, and generally what would happen, a rabbi wouldn't go and call his students. Students would come to a rabbi and say, hey, can we follow you? Can you teach us? So Jesus is really functioning more like an Old Testament prophet here, calling someone to fo- calling, the, calling these guys to follow him. And there, there's a lot wrapped up in these two words, follow me. Je- what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you need to leave what you're doing right now. Step away from your family, you need to step away from your job, you need to get behind me, and you need to walk with me. You need to live with me, and you need to be my disciples, and I'm going to show you what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. That's what he's saying to these guys. I'm going to show you, and I'm going to teach you what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. And we know that they're going to do that for like the next three years. And that's discipleship, right? Jesus is modeling what it looks like to be a disciple maker. He calls someone to follow him, he invites them into his life, And for the next three years, he's going to live with them, teach them, show them what it looks like to have their lives completely submitted to God. And yes, following Jesus is costly. Jesus himself said that. Jesus himself said that it would be costly. But he also said that when we lose our lives for his sake, then we will truly find them. When we submit our lives to God's kingship, that's when we will truly find our lives. And that's when we'll experience the fullness of life that Jesus came to bring that we would step into the life that God created for us. And, and I love this metaphor here, not, not just because I love to fish, but it works so well, what Jesus says here, that they were going to follow him and he would make them fishers of men. So in the same way, what he's saying to them here is, in the same way that you've been casting these nets into the water day after day, the way that you've been pulling up fish, now I'm going to train you, you're going to become announcers of this kingdom, and in doing so, you are going to pull people into the kingdom. You are going to, as you're throwing out your nets, now you're going to be announcing the kingdom and you're going to be pulling people into the kingdom with me. And this is the reality of disciple making. It wasn't just a command for Jesus' first disciples, but it's a command for all of us, all of Jesus' disciples throughout history, that we would be announcers of this kingdom, fishers of men. So Carly and I are incredibly excited to begin this new adventure in Boise, but there's also an element, I guess a large element, where we're incredibly scared <laughs> because over this next year, 
um, as we're being trained to do church planting, we are, we're going to have to learn to reorient our entire lives around this mission of making disciples, of being fishermen, if you will. So over the next year, we're going to have to reorient our, the way that we're spending our money, the way that we're spending our time, the way that we're doing everything in order to make disciples. Because at the end of the day, that's what church planting is. Church planting is making disciples and bringing those disciples into a local church. And so as we're doing this, we just ask for your prayer um, over the next year as we're doing this because it's, it is, being a disciple maker is a fundamental shift from the way that we're living our lives now to living life with intentionality, being fishers of men. And this is what Jesus has commissioned us to do. And again, I, just, I want to encourage you, if, if God can change the world through four fishermen, he can definitely use you. He can definitely use you and the, what you know of him to bring people into his kingdom. But look at the disciples' willingness here. It says that they immediately followed Jesus. They immediately followed him. I mean, how many of us, we've heard the gospel— We've heard the announcement of the kingdom. We know that we need to be disciple makers, and maybe we've heard the gospel for years and years and years, and we're still sitting on our hands. We, we know that Christianity isn't just about showing up to church on Sunday morning, but it's about actively engaging in our communities, making disciples, training up the next generation. I mean, how many of us have kind of been lulled into a Christianity that doesn't demand much of us other than we sit in a pew on Sunday morning? You know, our context here, I mean, I would argue that it's, this may be one of the most challenging contexts in the world to be a Christian, the suburbs, particularly the Chicago suburbs, because they have a way of stirring up apathy in our hearts towards God. They, they don't say, the, sub, the, or the culture here doesn't say that God is not great, but what it does say is everything else is greater. Everything else that you could participate in, school, academics, sports, work, all of those things, good things, Right? But the suburbs convinces us that those things are more important than God, that they demand our first allegiance. But to be part of God's kingdom is to submit to him first, not our culture, to submit to what he's calling us to, that our daily task then becomes being kingdom bringers, people who desire to bring people into the kingdom. So I, want, I do want to ask you this morning, if you're taking notes, maybe you can write down this question, but what, what is it that's holding you back from following Jesus into his mission? What, what is it? Pray about that this week. What is it that's holding you back from fully committing yourself to being a disciple maker, fully committing yourself to our, our church, or fully committing yourself to evangelism, whatever that looks like for you? You know, following Jesus, it will often lead us to do things that make no financial or earthly sense. It will. Jesus may lead us to, to quit a job, to move across the country, uh, he may lead us to actually get to know our neighbors, to quit sports or something like that. Carly and I, we're experiencing that right now. Starting um, tomorrow, we're both going to be unemployed, right? For the kingdom, though, right? Uh, for a time here, we'll be unemployed. But these, in these moments, this is when we begin to see God's provision and care for us because this is what he wants for us. He wants us to be committed to making disciples wherever we go. Following Jesus, it may lead us to do things that are seemingly radical to the culture around us. But again, when Jesus says, when you lose your life for my sake, you will then truly find it. You will truly find it. And I want to encourage you with that one final time, that if Jesus can use a group of fishermen, he can surely use you to bring his kingdom here. All right. The effects of the kingdom. This third movement here, the effects of the kingdom. So here we see Jesus going all throughout Galilee. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel. Spread this kingdom. He's, he's healing people of diseases and afflictions, and his fame has spread 
all over the region. So what, I, like what Matthew is saying to us, if I just put it in my own words, what Matthew is saying now is God is ruling, let me show you. Jesus is here, he's established his kingdom, and he's setting the world right. Let me show you what that's going to look like. So as God establishes his rule over our lives, we're going to begin to see the effects of that rule. In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the effects of God's rule and his control breaking into the world. As the Holy Spirit transforms us, as we submit to God's word, our lives are changed and brought into conformity. Those are the effects of the kingdom. As God establishes his kingdom here on earth, those, are following, those who are following him will experience miraculous healing. It will happen. As God establishes his kingdom here on earth, he is going to push back the forces of evil. He is going to push back the demonic forces as his kingdom breaks in. You see, when Jesus launched his public ministry, God began to slowly reclaim everything that was rightfully his. That's, that, again, that's what the kingdom is. And he did so through Jesus so that we could then dwell with him on this earth for all of eternity, a new heavens and a new earth that would be recreated, that we would be able to live with Jesus for all of eternity. And the, the, again, in the, next, in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is evidence of how when God's kingdom breaks into our lives, things are going to look radically different. I mean, I don't know how many people run around these days saying, hey, everyone should love their enemies. But when the kingdom of God breaks into our heart, we are given the power to do that. We're given the strength to love our neighbors. We're given the strength to love our enemies. The Sermon on the Mount, as the kingdom of God breaks into our lives, it's going to look like loving God, loving others, loving our enemies. So, as, as I close this morning, I, I just want to end this last note here. Um, and it's, it's somewhat connected to the sermon. It's kind of, it might not be, I don't know. <laughs> if, you're, if you're sitting here this morning as a follower of Jesus, I praise God for you. And, and my encouragement to you this morning is just to keep going. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Don't lose hope. Because the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom breaking into this world is that God is now reigning. And if you are part of his kingdom, you too will reign forever on this earth. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of the kingdom. So let me pray. Our Father God, I, I thank you for your kingdom. And I thank you that it is breaking into the world in, in a radical way. I thank you that it's breaking into this world in a way where you are healing people. Father, I thank you that it's breaking into this world in a way where you are transforming lives for your glory. And so, Father, I pray that as we as a church just continue to grow in, in, in being disciple makers and being fishers of men, Father, we pray that your kingdom would come here in Lake County as it is in heaven. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.